1: Hello, and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stamp here, as always. Thanks for tuning in. I know that a lot of you listening are curious overachievers who want to put your stamp on this world, who want to have impact. And I also know one of the greatest things that prevents that from happening is perfectionism. And that's what we're discussing this week on the show. And I specifically like the angle we take with our guest this week, because it's talking about the idea how perfectionism can be a trap. And I think we all feel that at times. You know, I've seen in the corporate world how often we are pushed to be perfect, to always receive feedback, to execute on the razor's edge, all in the name of incremental gains. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it takes its toll. This week on the show, we are interviewing Thomas Curran on his brand new book, The Perfection Trap, Embracing the Power of Good Enough. Thomas is a professor of psychology at the London School of Economics and author of the landmark study that the BBC hailed as the first to compare perfectionism across generations. His TED Talk has received more than 3 million views and he's been featured all over the place for his work. This interview in Thomas's book, is meant for anyone who has ever felt overwhelmed by the often soul-crushing need to not just compete and not be great, but to be perfect. And what I think you'll find, and I hope you'll find, is this conversation gives you the grace to realize you can accomplish in a more sustainable way. Here it is, my conversation with Thomas Curran on his new book, The Perfection Trap, Embracing the Power of Good Enough. Enjoy. Enjoy. I have this theory and it is that most people believe they're perfectionists but in fact many aren't how do i know if i'm a perfectionist or not okay the biggest telltale sign so,
2: so perfectionists can come in many different um flavors for want of a better word and uh and there's no one size fits all but i suppose the biggest telltale sign is if you if you succeed if you do something well what's your first emotion? Because if it's relief that you didn't screw up, and it's probably a high chance you've got some perfectionism there, because that's essentially what perfectionism is. It's a deficit thinking. It's a concealment and a hiding and a disguising of our frailty, shortcomings from the world. Um, and so all we all we really care about is not screwing up. It's not really about success. It's about not screwing up. And 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 if you feel that relief when you've done something well, and not that pride and that you know real sense of accomplishment, then it's, then yeah, you might be a perfectionist.
1: We've been talking a little bit before hitting record, and you seem to me to be a kind of laissez-faire. You know, let let happen what happens. And look, so how do you write about perfectionism yet have this persona of what happens happens? Well, this has been a
2: very uh, this has been a retrospective fit of my life story as I as I tell it now. But certainly during my earlier years, um, when I was making my way, I would consider myself to carry with me perfectionistic tendencies. Um, I think it's an interaction between genes and culture. So we are born with perfectionistic tendencies, but we we exist in environments that emphasize and amplify those tendencies all the time. And for anyone of your listeners, I'm sure they can understand that you go into your first job or even university, but then your first job. It's very competitive, it's very difficult. There's a lot of pressure and expectation on you and, and you certainly internalize that and push yourself well beyond comfort. I certainly did that. Um, so I wouldn't say that where I am right now is how I've always been, but certainly um, in recent years, I've tried to just allow life to happen a little bit more than forcing life to happen all the time. And that's really helped me psychologically,
1: not just break through my perfectionism, but also be um, a lot happier, and more contented. So would you say that your kind of case study a on the fact that you, if you resonate with this idea of perfectionism, if you feel you have some, it is something you can change.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, my, my whole, when I reflect on my life and how I've managed to make it to, uh, what we call the Russell group university, I suppose equivalent to the Ivy league in, uh, in the U S um, as a professor write a book, do a Ted talk and all these amazing things. Um, I think what's helped me is actually my background because I never expected to be in where I am. And and I, when you when you grow up in a small town poor, you kind of get used to the fact that you can't really force your your hand in life. Things are going to happen to you all the time that you really can't control. And at some level, you've just kind of got to say yes to as many opportunities as you can because they don't come around very often. And that was really that was really what I did. <laughs> so I said yes to go to to a grant to go to university. And then I said yes to do a master's and then I said yes to do a PhD and, and, um, and then, uh, and then you know, this is kind of just re- really how it's shaken out. But I wouldn't say that along that road, it's been easy. And certainly, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I have put pressure on myself to uh, work really hard, lift myself above other people. So yeah, of course, there's hard work in there. There's a lot of stress and anxiety. Of course there is. But there's also this element, as I as mentioned about having to just let life happen to you a little bit. And for me, it's
1: worked out really well. You and I were talking about this a little bit that you, given your upbringing, you didn't necessarily have a path, a plan. You went with the flow to some extent, again, not insinuating there wasn't hard work, but you didn't say this is my five year, 10 year, 15 year. And I think too often today we get told that if we don't have a plan, somebody else will create the plan and that somebody else will not necessarily have your best intentions in mind. And I don't know if I agree with that, but I don't hear the counter argument often. So if you could tell us your beliefs on, you know, how do you let things happen, but also uh, trust in a decent outcome? Well, you can never know the outcome.
2: And I think that's the thing. You you kind of got to let that go a little bit um, because anything can happen. You know, grief, heartbreak, sadness, health scares, uh, if global pandemic comes along <laughs> you know, screws everything up, like, life is a jagged path, and, and you never know what's around the corner, and many of the things in life you just can't control, and I think that's a lesson, as I said, from, from growing up poor, where you kind of just have to understand that from day one, that there's going to be a lot of stuff you're going to have to um, work against, and sometimes the, you're going to have headwinds that you just can't move forward in, and that's okay, you just got to be, you've got to, you've got to learn to live in that discomfort a little bit, you know, and that uncertainty, And know that things are going to get better, but at the same time, be comfortable in that, not as comfortable as you can in that space of unknown. And that's not easy. And I've driven myself crazy, I think, throughout my young years, trying to, you know, really work out where I'm going, what I'm doing, how it's going to work out. Is it going to be okay? Am I okay? You know, these are all very perfectionistic ways of thinking. Um, but it's really only been in recent years, by the way, which having the privilege of comfort, that's to say, being in a middle-class world now having um, a level of, uh, um, uh, pay and uh, wealth that allows me to, to think like that. I, I have to also add the caveat this is a very privileged way of thinking, uh, because, uh, you know, that when you're not quite so privileged, it's really difficult to, oh, well, you know, let's let, let fly half and what, what will be, will be, I mean, that could be the difference in losing your tenancy. Or uh, you know what I mean, being out of a job. So yeah I, I, I'm always very it's always really difficult this for me when I reflect on these experiences because, you know, by the grace of God go out things could have turned out way differently for me. And, and they did for a lot of my friends who, you know, have ended up in uh more difficult circumstances. So, you know, it's that's the thing about life, you know, there is hard work of course, as you mentioned. But there's also a lot of luck. There's also a lot of happenstance. There's also a lot of being in the right place at the right time, meeting the right people. Uh, you know that these are these are things that again you have to remain philosophical about them because sometimes you just got lucky, and that's also a a, a way that you can feel gratitude too. And like you know that you're here, and it's everything is you know happens. I'm you know, I'm a scientist. I don't believe in fate, but but sometimes life shakes out in ways you didn't expect. And that's nothing personal. That's just the way. That's just the way the wind blew. Uh, and so, also, I think that helps. Be, you know, me as well psychologically. Understand that. You know, I'm, I'm really privileged to be where I am, and there's some gratitude there for that too.
1: Where do we go? This is responsible control, and this is over control.
2: Yeah, and it, but everything in moderation. So, it, it, everything that I've just said about letting. Uh, the course of life unfold doesn't mean that you can't work hard doesn't mean that you, you can't be ambitious doesn't mean that you just allow whatever's going to happen to happen you, you you can of course have agency and um and you know you look at many many successful people yes they had luck happenstance all the rest of it but they also work really really hard it's a combination of the two and the the line i think is really everything in moderation like it's like the, field, like the growth mindset, take the growth mindset, great thing, you know, focusing on your efforts, um, working on developing your talents, all of these things are great, great. But taken to the extreme, like if you force yourself to grow at all times in all places, no matter what, well, of course that's perfectionism because it doesn't let you stop. So you have to, I think in this, I, I, the, the thing is in this society, everything is about maximization. Everything is about improvement, doing better, being better, being somebody, being anybody. But but the person that you are right now in this moment, uh, because there's always more, and that that is a you know just as much as a of an impact on people's perfectionism as it as you know this idea that we can be the author of our own destiny or that we control everything. Um, so I think I think I think it's about moderation. It's about understanding that there are limits, that we are just human beings and our resources are not infinite. Of course, they're not. Uh, and being happy, you know, being content with that, that being okay with that, knowing that sometimes we're going to have a nice tailwind that's great work as hard as you can to maximize it but then sometimes it's going to be a headwind and that's also okay. we need to learn to be comfortable with that standing still is not shameful and even regressing some you'll wake up one morning you go to a go to work and you realize you didn't know as much about a a thing as you thought you did (laughs) because someone's come in the door and told you something that you didn't know You know, again, these are just normal, natural experiences of of being a human being who's, you know, on a journey, on a path to somewhere. And uh, it's all part and part of the process. And if we try and push and do more and have more, be more all the time, um, then that's a really exhausting place.
0: This episode is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes. But let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills. I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service we will even try to get you a refund for the last couple months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members on average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com smart one more time that's rocketmoney.com/smart this episode is brought to you by hims we don't want to admit it but 52% of men over 40 experience some form of erectile dysfunction but like many health problems no one wants to talk about or take up hours of your day to deal with it that's why you need to check out hims hims is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online so you can get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Hims offers an array of high-quality options, including pills or chews for ED and serums, sprays, or oral options for hair loss. If prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and discreet packaging. No waiting rooms and no pharmacy visits. No insurance is needed, Pay one low price for your treatments, online visits, ongoing shipments, and provider messaging. You can even manage your plan on the HIMS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash smart. That's him slash smart for your personalized treatment options. One last time, HIMS.com slash smart prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate restrictions apply. See himscom slash twist for details and important safety information. Subscription required price varies based on product and subscriptions
1: plan. I got to tell you this, this quote, I don't know, might go up on my wall somewhere. Okay. And I just have to tell you being anybody other than the person you are in this moment, right? Like you were saying, we want to be somebody, we want to be anybody, we want to be anything other than the person we are, oftentimes. That's a really profound, yet I believe uh, correct statement, especially for those struggling with perfectionism, right? It's never enough. That's essentially a, sh- a short definition, I would imagine.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, you can read all sorts of seminal authors, people like Brené Brown. uh, talks about the cultures of never enough and the this, this sense of, you know, ne- needing to do and be and have more. Very, She she writes very persuasive about, speaks very persuasive about. Uh, other clinicians that I'm writing about in my book, Paul Hewitt, Gordon Flett. Um, you can even go back f- to the 40s and 50s with Karen Horney and Albert Ellis. All these people have talked about that core deficit thinking at the root of perfectionism. But, Chris, there's an interesting symmetry here, I think, between that deficit thinking that's at the root of perfectionism and the way that our whole economy works. We need to be doing more, having more, consuming more, working more, because that's the fuel for growth. Um, if we weren't doing those things, we weren't purchasing, we weren't consuming, we weren't producing, we weren't working, then the economy was spiraling into recession in rather short order so that's why advertising keeps us on our tiptoes that's why social media bombards us with targeting ads all the time that's why we're taught to work hard to get through a very competitive college and uh, schooling uh, college system that's why the grind and hustle is at the part, uh, real core of our working identities because we have to be kept doing more working harder consuming more uh held in a state of deficit now you know I think there's a curious symmetry there. This is something I touch on in the book. Because yes, as I mentioned, perfection is genetic. About 30 to 40% of perfection is genetic. But the rest is explained outside in our wider environment. And all I see right now, I look out into the wider environment, perfectionist fantasy is about having, doing, being more. And I think that this is something that's very much
1: amplified and um, uh, emphasized in modern culture for sure. Speaking of culture, you told me prior to recording that you live in london you're from london that's right yeah i'm based in london okay and you're finding a greater resonance in the u.s with this idea of perfectionism you're far more global than i am so i'm just going to open it up like how do you see that and then what do you think it means
2: okay thank you chris (laughs) <laughs>
1: if you pay me as an international player
2: i'm not really sure but there that's, you go uh... just go with it, I'm just not... go with it. <laughs>
1: that's but anyway i mean look you live in london you're in canada right now i mean yeah you know,
2: yeah it's but... true um okay well maybe i am all right let's go um okay so yeah i'm definitely seeing much more enthusiasm for the topic in the u.s hundred percent um not to say that don't uh, read about it uh work with people are perfectionistic in the uk and, and get asked a lot of to do a lot of things in the uk but certainly in the us people are really interested in this like they really want to know what's going on here because i think i think the us unlike any other place on the what in the world is is um is hyper competitive individualistic but these are virtues by the way these are things that the us holds to be really important to the national psyche and the national identity um which is great you know if you look at across the uh, history you can see it's, it's Driven so much economic uh, innovation, advancement, economic growth. And no, you know, US today is uh, a powerhouse still um, uh, and a success story of what um, an, uh, an economy that's driven by these principles can create. But let me just say also at the same time, we now are in an era where economies are, gro- are slowing secularly um, and it's becoming more difficult to eke out even more growth because you know we hit a plateau we're trying as hard as we can to hump the credit pump to push as much money into the system as we possibly can to try to squeeze as much as we possibly can out of workers um and revenues through all sorts of different ways of advertising products and all the rest of it and america is a real interesting case study in how that uh fixation on profit and money has kind of infiltrated every sphere of life from uh the online realm to uh our communities and um and and these you know it's unlike any other country in that respect um and so i think perfectionism here is is really live because those pressures to be more have more do more work harder um inside an economy that isn't quite growing as fast as it was (laughs) when uh when those ideals were giving something to back to people you know you had a burgeoning middle class the affluent society you know the average joe ha, um was celebrated with some you know the flintstones jetsons these are the kind of in the 40s 50s 60s these were like the celebrated um people in u.s culture but now it's the one percent now it's a unicorn achievement now it's the kardashians uh now it's these unrealistic um uh, figures who we all aspire to be and try to be but of course we just cannot be because it's wholly improbable that we'll ever make it to that um, really select and elite realm. And I think all of these pressures, all of these factors um, create in the U.S. a very sp- unique culture of of, high, of perfection. And I think a lot of people are struggling with that, and that's
1: why they want to know more. You just mentioned that a lot of people are struggling with it, especially in the U.S., and I would agree that to be true. Why is it, though, that perfectionism has to be a struggle?
2: Well, it depends which which way you look at it. If you look at it like uh, at a societal level, like this, in each individual person struggling to do will have more, be more in the in the aggregate, moves the economy upwards, right? Creates jobs, um, helps businesses flourish um drives investment back into the economy all the rest of it right so in the anger it's a really good thing but at an individual level for each the person individual um person slogging under the vice of a, an economy that needs them to do more work harder be more and all the rest of it that can be really a a, a difficult um thing and and i think that's that that it's really that at root Let's take, if you just think about this thought experiment from the other direction, right? So just imagine for a moment that each and every person in American, British, Canadian society would would felt like they had a good enough standard of life, right? That all their needs were met, that they didn't need anything else, that they were happy and contented in who they are, where they are right now in this moment. What would happen? Well, they wouldn't need to consume for one thing. Uh, They wouldn't feel the need to work every hour of the day for another you would start to see businesses close because of a lack of demand. That would create an impact on the things we need because we wouldn't have the money to fund healthcare, education, housing, and all the rest of it. So the whole fabric of society as we know it would begin to disintegrate. So if you think about it from the other direction, you begin to see how important it is that individual people in those economies continue to feel like they're not enough, continue to feel like they need more, have more, do more, because if they didn't, everything else would come crashing down tomorrow. So for me, yes, this is a, this is a systemic, um, uh, it's a cultural phenomenon, as I'll describe it in the book. It's a systemic way of thinking that is particularly pervasive in economies that um, are geared towards the maximization of growth, 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 and growth at all costs. And you see it more in those economies of so America, US, Canada, than perhaps you do less in the economies that are, um, that are not quite there yet, although most of our countries are, are coming in this direction, if that makes sense.
1: One of the things that I can hear some people thinking, I can literally hear something my listeners thinking, right? Which is, yeah, those politicians, those rich people are the ones doing it. I imagine that this is more of the outcome of the system we have created, and it is not done by anyone intentionally. Do you believe that to be true? Yeah, 100%.
2: 100%. 100. percent I don't think that there's some evildoer uh, overseeing all of this at all. I think this is just. I mean, look, this is just basic economics. This is how it, it's not. It's nothing um, sinister. Uh, and actually, and I mentioned it's worked. You know, this is the only way we know how to lift economies out of um, period. You know, uh, uh, people and economies out of intense deprivation. You know, it it's saved hundreds of millions of lives. There is no Nothing evil going on here. This is a, Growth is a very good thing. It's an incredibly good thing. The problem is economies reach a point at some level where um, the, uh, the impact of more growth on people's wellbeing begins to decline and wane. And we're in that point now. But like the more growth we get, the, the, the more problems that actually begin to crop up. And you see things like life expectancy fall in the U- US right now as is happening. You see social mobility decline. Uh, you see happiness wane, you see mental health problems spike. And I think it's countries in this, uh, once they've uh, cut, drawn themselves out of de- uh, um, scarcity, right, into an area of abundance, the issue is now not growth. The issue is how you get the proceeds of that growth to the people. And that is an issue of distribution rather than a problem of growth. And I think that 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 is where we are right now. In, in the West. And, and what, we're try, what we're doing instead is we're continuing to try to eke out more and more growth i have already maxed out economies, which is having an impact, not just on, by the way, you know, debt. If you look at the amounts of debt, it's crazy. Um you lurch from one debt crisis to another, we could be entering another soon. Uh, you've got issues about around planetary limits too, like the, the over-exploitation of uh, fossil fuels to generate this growth, which is having an impact on uh, the environment, uh, as we uh, as we see all around us uh and but also people right the more you try to squeeze people relentlessly, the more that 's going to impact on them and so i i I just think we in rich developed countries, our problem is not necessarily a growth problem it's a distribution problem that 's not to say we shouldn 't focus on growth we should but that 's also but we also need to work out how we make sure that the abundance that we have managed to accrue is shared shared within the country or shared globally. Shared within, well, (laughs) you're okay with me? I mean, I don't
1: want to go too far down. Yeah, yeah.
2: it's it's, it's an absolutely adequate question. Um, My position is we need to be, the countries right now that are in the developing world need to be encouraged and given the tools to grow. And there should be no limits on that growth because that's so important. Countries in the developed world that have reached a period of abundance, well, within those countries, you need to figure out how we can, can, you know, we. how we're we're able to distribute the proceeds of that growth more evenly Uh, because I think that will solve a lot of the problems that we're seeing Um, and also you know figure out how to prioritize growth in areas that need to grow like green, green technologies and all the rest of it and uh and AI and and all of these things that can make our lives manifestly better by doing all the drudgery of work and giving us more time to do other things that we would enjoy right um so those things absolutely need to grow, 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 grow. But then there are other things that are, like are very polluting or that are a, a predatory that perhaps we, we might say, well, the, these sectors may have to degrow or whatever. So there's a kind of a balance that needs to be struck. Um, but we're not, I suppose what I'm saying, we're not thinking about that. We're just thinking about how we can grow, grow, grow. And I think that has knock-on impacts. And one of them is perfectionism, but there are all sorts of others.
1: Well, and if if you're listening going, man, we've come some way from perfectionism, I have two things to say. One, we're going to dig back in, but two, it's all, it's all tied. And I just can't help it because this is a fascinating discussion that I wasn't anticipating, but I'm glad we went to. And here's why. I'm currently on the final week of a one-month paternity leave. So I, we've got a three-week-old, and so I haven't had to work for three weeks coming on four which is a long span, especially in the U S like there, there are people who go their entire working life and never take a month off straight. And it has been a very saddening month. And here's why I have done more in three weeks for myself, for my joy, for my health, for my family in three weeks than I've done in the previous three years easily, which is what I believe to be life. And what I've realized is exactly what you're talking about, which is this should be normal for us. We should be able to have this. We, especially in the U.S., I'm, I'm speaking here because this is what I know, but we have the resources and the capabilities to make this happen. And I believe the reason we're not is for exactly what you're talking about, right? Because if everybody were to do that at different times, we might lose one percent growth or something. Not ninety. We're not. We're not regressing. We're just not exponentially progressing. And it reminds me of, there was this futurist I read about a long time ago. He said, you know, by 2000, a third of our time will be spent on work, um, uh, you know, in comparison. A third will be spent on hobbies and a third will be spent on relaxation. And in fact, the opposite has happened, right? We're working harder. And I just, all of it seems backwards, but it, It is feeding into exactly what you're talking about, and it's frustrating. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's crazy that
2: John Maynard Keynes wrote a a very famous note to his uh, grandchildren, uh, where he predicted that uh, this was around the forties, fifties, something like that. I can't remember exactly the date. Where he predicted that technology would advance to such an extent that we would spend more time in our communities with our friends and our families than we would at work because we wouldn't need to work because machines would be doing everything for us, right? And you're absolutely right. (laughs) The opposite has happened. Now we have an opportunity with AI actually to reverse that that trend, which I really think we should jump on. Like everyone's so scared of AI, but I, I think if we can use it right, we can really... Uh, it can bring so it can enliven our lives in so many in so many ways because it doesn't it won't take. But
1: we won't. <laughs> well. We won't. You know, we won't. Well. This is why I bought Amazon, Microsoft, Tesla. I bought the stock, not because of the company, but because I have this negative view that there will be a monopoly, whoever gets there first to some extent, and they will exploit it. And now the richest person will be worth a 100 billion, not 5 billion. And And, and th- that's what frustrates me. It's frustrating but I, I really think there's an opportunity I, I
2: and 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 the problem is like you're right at the moment the way the economy works is that all of those productivity gains will be siphoned upwards towards whoever is the first to win the race like that's how it works but I think I, I hope and the optimist in me hopes that if we can just use these technologies in ways that uh, free us all from the drudgery of work and, and there's almost like an AI dividend. And you can you can implement that in many different ways. Some say you can implement like a UBI. You can put a floor under deprivation, or you can, uh, you or, or you can simply just allow people to share jobs, for instance. Right, do part time, but people, uh, uh, um, because you know AI is doing more jobs, it means you've got less work available. So everybody kind of does part time work instead of full time work, right? So there's all sorts of ways that you could use this to really uh, give us more time, but like just in the way that John Maynard Keynes said that we would be using technology um i think it's a choice it's a choice um and the optimist in me hopes that we
1: make the right one but i hear what you're saying yeah <laughs> and well, they may not. You know, <laughs> you know no progress happens quickly there is a quote that my wife shared with me long long ago one of the things that made me fall in love with her and it is you know nature does not hurry yet everything is accomplished right and i i think that We can do things over time and we will go ebbs and flows and we will screw it up. But then in the long run, if it gets better and I think that we have to at least have these discussions, we have to at least write these books, we have to at least learn about it Mm. so that our kids start to be a little smarter so that their kids start to be a little smarter. So over time, we look back 100 years and we go, man, I can't believe those people did that because the truth is you can say today sucks. But do you want to live in uh, 1923? Absolutely not. And so I think we have to remember that.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and and it's also really important to remember that AI isn't going to rob us of the, AI technologies can only are only, can only use what we give them, right? What's available, the information, the machine learning can only draw on what it, what's available right now. It it can't predict anything. It can't make stuff up for new. It can't. It's not a creative or innovative process. Like that's what people do. People take their jobs. Uh, like academics, for instance, we, we, we create research papers, we develop theories, we test data, we uh, come up with new insights into which, you know, doing this iterative process. And it's the same with any other job. If you're a marketer, you come up with a campaign that's new, fresh, exciting, that brings people along, that really sells a product in an innovative way. And it's the same for, you know, law, medicine, whatever. All of these innovations require human ingenuity and creativity. None of that goes in this world. But what does go is the drudgery of the of the of the crap task, you know the admin, the you know having to schedule meetings, the, uh, the, the the real like stuff that gets in the way of that meaning and purpose. And that's why I'm so like that's why I think you know technologies can be really helpful for us because it can focus our minds on those that creative side of us, that innovative side of us that really helps drive the economy whilst also not having to worry about working ourselves to the bone, because all we're ever being asked to do is more, 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 more. We can focus on quality over quantity. And I think that's a really important shift uh, in the way we work.
1: Well, I I don't want to be the pessimist, but I'm just going to tell you, Thomas, that I think what's going to happen is they will offload these menial tasks to AI, and then they will just say, you know what, because AI is doing all that, we only need one person to do the job of three, but now you have to do that higher level thinking times three instead of spending the time creating PowerPoint. But, but but that's neither here nor there. Let history be our scorecard. With the last kind of 15 minutes or so, I want to get more granular. And if you've listened to this podcast and been like, dude, how are we talking about perfectionism? I think what we just did is we talked about the things that drive perfectionism on a global level, on a on a countrywide level. I think we've talked about how it impacts humanity, civilization, progression. But now let's talk about, you know, I I still got to go to work tomorrow. I mean, I don't because I'm on paternity, but listening, you do, right? <laughs> and you have to give that presentation and perfectionists are worried about screwing up. Let's talk about, first of all, how is it a trap exactly as you define in your book? Well, Chris, just to say also, I'm sure listeners will also think,
2: I enough to have we get here, but it's really important to recognize that What we just talked about is crucial for the perfectionist because what we do right now is we blame ourselves a lot of the time. Like, how on earth, why do I have these feelings? Why don't I feel like I'm enough? Why can't I snap out of it? Mm. And actually, if we understand that this is just a systemic way of thinking, it takes a lot of personal power and responsibility off ourselves. And that is incredibly healing. Like, just that knowledge itself is so, so um, healing because it gives us permission to accept that there's a broader context to these feelings and that actually i just live in this world that that pushes on that those perfectionist tendencies all the time and that's okay i can accept that i can acknowledge that i can label these things and i can find more compassionate and constructive ways to move forward so there, there is a there's actually a, a an important part of discussing those broader issues because they help us break down why does we feel like this which then helps us understand ourselves better which allows us to deal with these tendencies in a much healthier way. So rather than kind of trying to push through, put it all on ourselves, ask ourselves, why on earth can't we snap through this? We can accept that actually sometimes this is just the
1: way it is. So that's the first thing to say. So insightful. I'm so glad you said that. Because although subconsciously I knew there was a tie, I don't think I knew it that clearly. And I'll give you a quick example. Recently, somebody asked me, you know, hey, there's a potential for this promotion at work. Do you want to put yourself up for it? I thought about it and I said, nah, not really. And it was like I kicked somebody's puppy. They they looked at me and they were like, well, then what are you even doing here? And I had this moment of realization, which was just like, I kind of like what I'm doing. I get to spend time with my kids. I don't work more than 40 hours a week right now. I make good enough money. I live in a house I love. Um, why do I have to rock that boat? But the pressures are immense and it is, it is exactly what you were just talking about, and it's very easy to give into.
2: No, oh, no, too. But that goes back to the question that you were asking me: why, why is it a trap? Well, that's the trap because of this idea that it's all on us, and that we have to make ourselves appear and, and perform perfectly at every single moment. And um, but it's something that we we cannot do sustainably. Like it isn't something that you know we can't be excellent all the time um and also this is, there's another piece to this because even if we are excellent we just set a new floor for expectation so the better we do the better we're expected it's like trying to chase the horizon the closer you get the further it moves and and this is the trap of perfection this this unrelenting treadmill of expectation and pressure and achievement and expectation and pressure and achievement uh, that never really goes anywhere that never really yeah. ends um and that's that's that at, at root at essence that is the perfection trap uh and it and it's just as much as a personal obsession as it is a societal one. is that the cure for
1: perfectionism
2: is almost gratitude gratitude and much like master clinician karen horney talked about um way back now in the 1950s the the goal of therapy for for the perfectionist is to try to return the patient to themselves And that is really quite a profound, uh, uh, that left an impression on me because she talks something about things like self-acceptance and a wholehearted commitment to living with all of ourselves and all of our feelings. And by the way, every single one of us will know what this feels like. So if you've ever felt love for a human being, like just in that moment when everything else disappears and all you have right there is that intimate connection, of just li- in living inside that joy. Kids do this all the time, by the way you see this in kids all the time, just completely content with themselves and all of their feelings in that moment, not worrying about anything else around them. There is a human capacity for us to connect with ourselves to such an extent that nothing else matters and that we just live and experience that spontaneous joy that comes with existing. That is what Karen Horney talked about when she talked about connecting with ourselves now of course look we're not gonna if we don't live in a constant state yeah. of that yeah. <laughs> of that joy but the the goal is to try and, is to try and experience that joy in ever greater regularity that's the goal um and I, because at the moment we're, we're robbed of those experiences for our perfectionism I think Brene Brown called perfection in the fee for joy and that's very true uh, we, we just don't give ourselves permission to um experience uh, contentment, serenity, just living existing inside of ourselves. So so that's the... that's the, If you want to get at the root of how, how we how, come be, overcome perfectionism, for want of a better word, it's really to try to connect with our inner selves, our true selves, our authentic selves.
1: I feel like the hardest part of that is doing it in a world that wants you to be anything but that, as we've discussed. Mm-hmm. Have you found any recommendations in either your life or in your research on how to combat that you know I just imagine the person listening to this on their commute saying hey, yeah sounds great thanks chris thanks thomas assholes <laughs> right um I'd love to be my authentic self but I'm going into somebody who's going to tell me my authentic self is is incompetent you know how can we do that
2: yeah it's it's really important and I've I've had this a lot it- the 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 answer to that question is first of all to recognise this is not your fault. Like that, knowledge is power. Right, that's what they say anyway. But in this case, it's really true. Like understand there's a broad context to the way that we, why we feel like this, why all of us feel like this. I think is incredibly is is incredibly healing. Um, and there's a lot of comfort we can take from that. But beyond that, there are many things that we can do in our own lives. The first is to try as much as we possibly can to let life in, let life happen, understand that life is a jagged path, and sometimes things are going to go well, sometimes things are going to not go so well, that's okay, it's all part of the process, and and, and and being brave, being vulnerable, pushing ourselves out there, if you're on a commute this morning, and you, you have various things that you don't think you're very good at, and you want to hide them, maybe public speaking is one of them, I hear this a lot, put yourself out there today, go into the office, say, I want to give that talk next week, uh, let me do it, let me lead, and 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 go with the feelings. You know, just just sit there with the anxiety and discomfort. Don't try and repress it or work around it, but just actually sit in that state of discomfort. Become as, as comfortable as you can. I feel the fear and do it anyway. This is kind of a very common thing that people say, but it's really important to do. Like just feel that fear, do it anyway. And then go through the process of actually doing it. You know, push yourself out there, give the talk, and then ask yourself okay, was that as, as horrendous as I thought it was going to be? Often it's not. Most of the time it's not as catastrophic as you think it's going to be. But even if it goes badly, this is also a really nice learning experience. You know, what can I do better? How can I improve? How can I learn? How can I take that experience and be better next time? And it's those small steps in the in a forward direction that make the most difference. You know, pushing ourselves out, learning, growing, sitting with the discomfort, learning to be more comfortable in that state and then doing it again and again and again. And the other thing I would say is, try not to get too focused on being excellent or excelling in absolutely everything. So yes, you know, if you're not a very good speaker, that's fine, you can become better. But there are certain there are certain things that we do in our lives that bring us a lot of joy, a lot of happiness, but we, we've hard ourselves because we don't think we're a world champion at it. And I see this a lot in perfectionistic people. And really knowing and understanding that we're imperfect, that we're not, you know, going to be brilliant and everything gives us permission to go out there, do the things we love. Don't hold back, I suppose, is what I'm saying. Um, and there's loads of examples of that in my own life, like music. I'm a good musician. i a songwriter. It's helped me through some of the lowest points of my life, but at the same time, I can't sing. And so I would hold myself back because I didn't think I was very good at it. Again, if it's baking, if it's sports, if it's um, uh, uh, anything you do at work, you know, there are things where we just think we hold ourselves back because we don't think we're going to be excellent at it. So we just don't do it at all. And again, it's all, it's really about putting ourselves out there and doing things um and knowing that we're not going to be perfect and that's okay um and then finally is self compassion i know this is a very common one i'm sure you listeners have heard this a lot and they're going okay yeah here we go again but it's so so important it's i can't emphasize enough how important it is to be compassionate to ourselves um all the time and uh, particularly when you screw up because if you're putting yourself out there you're going to screw up you need to be kind to yourself you need to tell yourself it's okay next time it's all right don't worry we're just imperfect people and that's absolutely fine Uh, you know, we we can, we can grow and we can develop ourselves for next time. So those are the things that I try and do in my own life there's a lot of evidence to suggest they work. Um, but it's not easy. Uh, and it's a journey and you might never get there by the way, you you might never overcome your perfectionism complete, but that's okay. The most important thing is to be on the journey.
1: As you were going through that, what I realized is you mentioned this idea of just put yourself out there, try to grow from it. But there's a difference between put yourself out there, try to grow from it, have compassion for yourself, and put yourself out there, evaluate your flaws, make sure you fix them. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be done with such intensity. There's this phrase, feedback is a gift. And I've always struggled with it because I felt like, so if every time I go do my job, there's somebody there telling me about what they think I could have done better or different what's the point does it really have to be every time it it just seems again like part of that cultural component
2: yeah and but that's that's the most important thing about about actually putting yourself out there because if you're compassionate to yourself you sometimes you can also know that there was nothing you you know sometimes if like you just mentioned in failure or in screw-ups or whatever there's nothing actually to learn there's no growth to be made you knew what to do you knew how to nail it because you've done it before but you just had a bad night's sleep or, you know, like you got into an altercation or coming in and really tilted you or whatever. Like there's all sorts of things that could have happened in your life that day that that created the issue. And, and it was not really... Um, it's not It's not really, you know, you can get your mentor coming up and telling you, well, this wasn't great and you could have improved this or whatever, but actually like, none of that really matters because you knew all those things, you just had a bad day. And, and that, that goes back to that piece about living or trying to live as much as you can in the, in, in a place of serenity, knowing that life sometimes happens to us rather than, ha- you know, the other way around. And, and understanding it, accepting that helps us accept when things don't quite pan out the way we planned um, and it's not an imperative to grow. Um, it's just it's just one of those things. It's just part and parcel of being a fallible human being. And I think that's uh, that's also um, that's helped me certainly take a lot of pressure off myself um, when things haven't gone quite so well.
1: Well, I hope it'll help those listening. I know it's helped me as well. So Thomas, first, I really appreciate it. The book is The Perfection Trap, Embracing the Power of Good Enough. Where else can our listeners find you other than obviously the book? And we'll link to that.
2: Uh, yeah, so I've got a website, tomcurran.com, tom book, T-H-O-M, Curran, com. ncom uh, You can Google me, Tom's Curran, and um, I'll, I'll come up uh, on the search, particularly if you combine it with a Perfection Trap, um, and there are various ways you can buy the book, and if you do buy the book, please do feel free to get in touch, because I love to hear from
1: readers. That sounds awesome, and it must, it must feel nice to go, you know what, just Google my name. When you get to that <laughs> status, look, just Google me, okay? I don't need to give you a bunch of websites. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah there's good there's also there's a famous british cricketer called thomas curran as well but i'm assuming the listeners will be able to differentiate because i'm not an athlete M-
1: maybe <laughs> although when we hear the accent we go i don't know it could be cricket i have no idea i do both that's my that's that's how i moonlight in uh, on the evenings and weekends and you and you call yourself <laughs> not a perfectionist come i'm not kidding <laughs> all right thomas appreciate it thanks for being on the show thanks chris
0: A thank you to this week's guest, Thomas Curran. The episode was hosted, as always, by Chris Stemp and produced by yours truly, John Rojas. Thomas's book, The Perfection Trap, Embracing the Power of Good Enough, can be found wherever books are sold. Now for the quick housekeeping items. If you'd ever like to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And of course, you can stay up to date with all things Smart People Podcast by heading over to the website, smartpeoplepodcast.com, and signing up for the newsletter. That's it for us this week. Make sure you stay tuned because we've got a lot of great interviews coming up, and we'll see you all next episode.